Welcome to In Tune to Nature. I'm Carrie Freeman, one of the co-hosts of In Tune to Nature, a show dedicated to sharing eco and animal-friendly information that you need to know to be a responsible eco-citizen, or as I like to say, to embrace your human-animal-earthling identity. The views and opinions expressed on In Tune to Nature do not necessarily reflect those of WRFG, its board, staff, or volunteers. Our website for the show is facebook.com slash Nature. And the Intune to Nature podcasts can be found on most streaming sites. If you appreciate that this independent radio station prioritizes environmental protection issues and stand up, stands up for all species, please make a financial contribution at the website wrfg.org and select Intune to Nature from the drop-down list. Like all of our airshifters, I'm a volunteer and I give monthly to help pay the station's expenses because I believe in it. Hopefully you do too. Thanks. Today we're going to be talking about Parkinson's disease and its connection with toxic chemicals in our environment. I bet that you know someone, a loved one or a friend who has Parkinson's. I do. Um, I have a member of my family and a member of my circle of friends who have, has Parkinson's and neither of them has a history of that in our, their family because that used to be what we all thought that that's, you know, you just couldn't help it if you got Parkinson's. But actually, doctors are finding out that they're improving, scientists, uh, that there is a connection between Parkinson's and um, chemicals in the environment. And I found out more about this through a, a relatively new book called Ending Parkinson's. And um, there's a website that goes along with it, endingpd.org, PD for Parkinson's disease. And at endingpd.org, they're really calling for us all to get involved, to try to get the president of the United States, and you could also, if you're interested, write the head of the Environmental Protection Agency to ask for a ban on chemicals that have been linked to Parkinson's. And they are paraquat, chloropyrifos, and trichloroethylene, which is TCE. Um, and they all increase the risk of Parkinson's and some other countries have banned them and they're saying that the U.S. should ban these substances too. They're also calling for an increase in Parkinson's research because over the past decade, inflation adjusted um, National Institute of Health funding for Parkinson's has decreased while the number of Americans with the disease has increased 35%. So there, there really needs to be a movement um, if we're going to get these chemicals out of the environment so future generations, maybe the, the youngest generation, will not have to face an increasing rate of this, uh, this neurological and brain disease. Um, so what I thought we would do today is um, listen to one of the, web, the webinars that's associated with this endingparkinsons.org website. And um, it was from last year. And it's hosted by Dr. Ray Dorsey, 
who is a professor of neurology and director of the Center for Health and Technology at the University of Rochester. And they're specifically going to be talking about the chemical TCE. That one is also the one who the person in my family likely came in contact with TCE when they were at um, Camp Lejeune, which is a military uh, marine base in North Carolina, um, because they're industrial solvents in that water at Camp Lejeune for several decades. And um, it's caused all kinds of health problems for the Marines who were stationed there and their family members. But TCE is, in as a main um, degreaser, it's really used very widely uh, in the United States. And um, so that's what we'll find out more about that and the problems that it has caused uh, by listening to this webinar. I also wanna add that while we're thinking all about humans and Parkinson's and how these chemicals are affecting human life and causing diseases, think of all the problems that also we don't even know about that are caused by all these chemicals in the environment for all the other animals who exist in the world. So even though this is a very anthropocentric discussion today, talking all about human health, um, what we are doing by putting all these chemicals out there um, it may be causing all kinds of neurological disorders or cancers um, in a variety of um, wildlife as well. Today on our uh, Ending Parkinson's Disease uh, webcast, we're going to examine environmental factors that contribute to Parkinson's disease, figure out you know who's been exposed to it and how we can prevent these risk factors from contributing to the increasing rise of Parkinson's disease. Today we're going to focus on a chemical called tricot trichloroethylene or TCE. If you're like me, you've never really heard about trichloroethylene or TCE. Uh, I didn't hear about it until about two years ago when I started writing this book with my colleagues. However, 8% of workers, 8% of workers have worked with this chemical. So 8% of people have worked with this chemical. Some of us had had it enter our homes or workplaces undetected. And all of us, all of us have been exposed to us. For some of our list, for some of our listeners, it may be the cause or likely the cause for your Parkinson's disease. To help us understand TCE and its link to Parkinson's disease, we have two wonderful guests. Uh, the first is Dan Cannell. Dan is a partner in law, specializing in securities law at the law firm Harder Seacrest in Emory in Rochester, New York. Dan developed Parkinson's in his 40s and has been a fierce advocate, fierce advocate for the condition ever since. He and his firm have hosted numerous event, uh, Parkinson's disease events, including many with the Michael J. Fox Foundation. He's participated in countless research studies, and he's constantly working to raise awareness of the disease. Dan completed his undergraduate studies at Brandeis University and law school at the American University, both with honors. Dan, many thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, our second guest is Dr. Brianna De Miranda. Brianna is a neurotoxicologist. There are actually neurotoxicologists out there and we have one with you, one for you today. She's completing her postdoctoral fellowship at the University of Pittsburgh with Dr. Timothy Greenemeyer. That lab has identified numerous environmental risk factors for Parkinson's disease. And actually Todd Scher, uh, the CEO of the Michael J. Fox Foundation, the co-author of the book, came from that exact same lab. So you know she's coming from a great place. Uh, Brianna completed her bachelor's in biological sciences and doctorate in toxicology at Colorado State University and will soon be a faculty member at the University of Alabama, Birmingham. 
She's quickly emerging as one of the country's leading authorities on TCE and Parkinson's disease. Brianna, thanks very much for taking time. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you and Dan today. So Brianna, we'll start with an easy question. What is trichloroethylene or TCE? Yeah, so, so that is a good, easy question because TCE is an incredibly common uh, compound. It's what's called a chlorinated organic solvent, um, which is really just a fancy word for a degreasing compound. Um, TCE has been used throughout the US and the world um, as an industrial solvent or degreaser since about the 1920s or 30s. And um, it's been predominantly used in the manufacturing industry, um, but also the dry cleaning industry, and even at one point as a surgical anesthetic. Um, we can still find it today um, in some of these places, including manufacturing, um, and as well as some uh, household products that you might use to remove grease or oil. So it's also been used to decaffeinate coffee, was used in white out, it's used in a wide range of occupations. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those occupations? Yeah, so um, some of the occupations that would have been um, using TCE um, in, their, in their everyday use um, is, is things like uh, uh, manufacturing. So think of heavy manufacturing where you'd be making uh, metal parts or potentially electrical components. Um, so the early semiconductor industry used a lot of TCE in producing um, electrical parts uh, for computers. Um, it's used predominantly now in the uh, refrigerant industry. So it's actually used as a chemical feedstock uh, to produce a refrigerant and that's its predominant use today. Um, it's used as a vapor degreaser or a cold degreaser. Um, so those are two different ways that um, individuals might use this at their workplaces. Um, it was also used for a long time in the US military as a general solvent and also as a chemical feedstock. Um, it was actually even used at one point um, in animal feed processing um, way back in the 1900s. So um, it's really been used in pretty much, pretty much everywhere you could, you could imagine where you need to um, take grease or dust or oil off of a metal part. Uh, also, uh, I've even heard um, people use it to prepare bodies for uh, burial. Yeah, sort of a wonder solvent in that way. Um, it's almost, uh, if you can imagine it, it's been used. Um, and of course, many of these applications have been scaled back in modern times, but um, really it's been until um, the late 80s, um, early to mid 90s, um, it was still ubiquitously pretty much used in, in most industries throughout the United States. Uh, we're always looking for stories. If you have stories, if you've been worked in one of these previous occupations or have stories about people who have been, uh, please let us know either in the chat function uh, or in the Q&A. Uh, in addition to people who work with the chemical, people get exposed to it in a wide variety of ways. So just because you didn't work in one of these occupations listed here, there are other ways that people get exposed to it. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so if you are an individual who lives near a location that um, TCE is heavily used on site. Uh, so for example, many of the um, people who live uh, uh, near a uh, site of heavy industry would be exposed to TCE potentially through their air or through groundwater. Um, it's released into the environment, predominantly into the air, but it can also make its way into groundwater and soil. And so our major source of environmental exposure to TCE is either through inhalation um, and you don't necessarily have to be outside to inhale it. It's actually a common indoor pollutant as well. 
um, or through drinking it in water. And um, one of the reasons why TZE is particularly tricky is because um, it does have this volatile component um, to the chemical. So um, even though it's predominantly in a liquid form, it will actually travel through groundwater um, in these kind of aqueous plumes and it can uh, vaporize and rise up through the floors and through the soil um, uh, and actually pose a vapor intrusion hazard into homes or buildings. And so that's one way that we might have um, uh, inhalational exposure occur even to individuals who do not work directly with the compound. You want to just walk walk us uh, walk people through and sh show them the chemical structure of triclethylene. It's just two carbons, three chlorines, and a hydrogen atom, and then uh, how this gets into people's groundwater and into their homes. Yeah. So um, very small chemical, so it's it's readily dispersed in the air. And what I have drawn at the top there is uh, the chemical being released through um, directly through vapor to air. And then um, that's obviously one way that you would be exposed is simply by breathing it in to con um, through contaminated air. Um, next, if the compound makes its way through the soil, it can actually reach um, certain uh, water aquifers depending on their depth um, underneath the soil. And then TZE travels in what we consider sort of a toxic plume uh, through that groundwater and it'll eventually make its way under homes and businesses. And then what we have um, showing you in the second part of that figure is the TCE can either come up through the water um, directly into the house and you might be exposed by drinking water or um, it can vaporize and then um, intrude into the airspace within the house um, and, and that would be your major major pathways for exposure. Thanks very much Brianna. Uh, Dan, thank you first of all for all the efforts that you do on behalf of the Parkinson's community. Uh, can you tell us a little, little, a little <clears throat> bit about uh, your Parkinson's journey? Sure. Uh, well, I was diagnosed at age 43 um, uh, in 2013, about seven years ago. Um, and, and actually, in, in hindsight, um, I had symptoms going back well before that. Uh, I remember losing my sense of smell in 2007 or so, uh, but yeah, I actually didn't think it was that big a deal because my, my one-year-old was in diapers, and I thought that was sort of a bonus. Um, but uh, you know, a couple years after that, I went to, actually went to a neurologist who uh, diagnosed me that the diagnosis was that possibly was a result of uh, uh, statins I was taking. A couple years later, I had a sort of numbness in my right arm, and I was diagnosed with a potential pinched ulnar nerve. Uh, fast forward a couple more years, 2013, right before my official diagnosis, and I felt a little bit of a tremor. I thought, oh, that's not right. Uh, and then I noticed it was not just a tremor, but the whole right side of my body wasn't responding like the left side of my body. I thought, that's that's really not right. And I went to see my primary care physician who said, uh, you know, Dan, you should really be a little concerned about this. You should see a neurologist. And I went to go talk to a neurologist at the University of Rochester. I was diagnosed in uh, July of 2013. Um, what were your thoughts when you were diagnosed? Uh, well, it actually it, it put me into a pretty deep, dark depression. You know, I was 43, the height of my career, um, and I thought, you know, my life was over. You know, I was, I was given a pamphlet with a real picture of an old man in a wheelchair, how to chair exercises. And I thought, I literally, you know, thought that, you know, I, I was going to be in a nursing home in two years, um, and uh, and you know. It, nothing. It, it took me uh, several months to get out of that uh, that place, and, and quite frankly, you mentioned sort of being involved in the community. That's actually what brought me out of it. I decided I could either um, suffer with this in silence and, and depression, or I could do something about it. And I chose the, 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 the path of doing something about it. And so I got involved in research and advocacy, and in, uh, in the community. And no one in your family has Parkinson's. Is that correct? In my immediate family, no. And then, when did you first hear of TCE? 
I actually didn't hear of it until uh, I read an early copy of, of your book. I thought to myself, huh, that, that seems like a little, uh, um, you know, uh, ubiquitous in terms of its, its, its application everywhere. And I thought, I thought to myself, where could I have been exposed to TC? And you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer. I work in an office building. I never worked in a, with, with a degreaser or, you know, in or on chemicals. I'm not a chemically oriented person. And then, uh, then I, I, you know, in conversations with you and others, that sort of it all of a sudden clicked that I, I probably had been exposed to it uh, and, and in sort of a, an unusual way. Um, we're going to get back to your story in a second. Uh, Brianna, what's the role of TCE in Parkinson's disease? So based on our knowledge from epidemiology studies, as well as laboratory research, including my own, it appears that TCE might increase risk for Parkinson's disease by causing toxicity to the neurons that degenerate in the disease, the dopamine neurons of the substantia nigra. And because TCE readily crosses the blood-brain barrier and it's known to produce neurological effects, um, in fact, one of the major neurological effects um, for individuals breathing in TCE is um, CNS depression. So people become uh, tired or dizzy uh, when they're exposed to TCE. So we know it's reaching the brain at pretty high, high quantities when people are exposed. And so we think that TCE represents a risk concern for Parkinson's disease. So there was a major uh, research study, uh, two big research studies, one by uh, Dr. Don Gash and his colleagues at Kentucky, at the University of Kentucky, who identified a cluster of people uh, developing uh, Parkinson's disease who worked directly with TCE. And then a second one, a twin study. You want to first discuss Dr. Gash's study? Yeah, so um, this is a really fascinating study because uh, this was a, a, a Parkinson's disease cluster, which are pretty rare for Parkinson's disease. It, it's not common that you find individuals either living or working in one location that all develop Parkinson's disease, especially if they have no family history. And that's what happened here. So there were... Um, three individuals who developed Parkinson's disease um, seemingly in relation to this open container of TCE within a factory where they would dip um, metal parts in um, and at times up to their elbows without protective equipment on. And um, I think what's actually um, most remarkable about this study is that when these researchers began to investigate this, they, they went back and they actually examined other workers who had not been diagnosed with Parkinson's um, from this factory. And they actually found 27 individuals who worked within that factory um, pretty close in relation to these three people who were diagnosed with Parkinson's. And they actually found when they went and tested them that they had um, symptoms of motor dysfunction, um, including slower um, find hand movements. Um, and I think what's, what's really important about that is it shows that we might be underdiagnosing um, Parkinson's disease from solvent exposures. Um, so waiting for people to actually develop PD you might get a few people um, who actually went on to develop uh, Parkinson's disease symptoms, but clearly um, more individuals in that factory were actually affected by the neurological effects of TCE. And then uh, Hugh Johnson is asking, what's the hazard ratio, what's the relative risk associated with trichloroethylene? Dr. Carly Tanner and colleagues answered that question yes, in a twin so study. Yes, so the twin study that um, Dr. Goldman and Dr. Tanner um, uh, did showed that uh, for PD discordant twins, they predicted an increased odds ratio um, for individuals who worked with uh, TCE to be 6.1. So they were six times more likely to develop Parkinson's disease if they worked with TCE. 
six times. So that's not like a small amount. It's like 20%. That's not 30%. That's 500%. Pretty significant. Um, and it's, important to note that it's a relatively small number, um, but that's uh, supported by other research um, indicating that obviously we have other risks, including mechanisms that would suggest that TCE was directly responsible for um, those Parkinson's disease cases. And I'll just read a brief excerpt from the book on this. And yet from 1981 to 1991, the production of TCE increased 1,000 fold, 1,000 fold increase in production of TCE from 1981 to 1991. It was nearly ubiquitous, nearly ubiquitous in American industry in the second half of the 20th century. A National Institutes of Health funded epidemiological study that linked work exposure to TCE to Parkinson's conclude that the potential public health implications are substantial. Um, it's uh, while U.S. production has decreased from its peak, millions of pounds of TCE continue to be released into the environment annually. It can be found in the air, the soil, food and even human breast milk. Um, Dan, uh, you've been involved in looking at a cluster of individuals with Parkinson's disease. Uh, do you wanna talk about that? Sure, well, you know, in the context of some of the volunteer work that I've run uh, with, uh, with E-Ray, um, you know, it occurred to me that, uh, that out of a total of 79 or 80 people that I, that I put in a, in, a, in a category of people that I work with, I know of at least four who have developed Parkinson's, four for sure. Um, and I, I thought to myself that this, that seems like a little high given the prevalence of Parkinson's in the, in the overall community and in, in the overall population. Uh, what what could be the potential cause of that? I thought back to where I work, where I, where I live, where what I've done in my life, and then I, I learned subsequent to that that uh, that next to a literally a, within feet of a parking garage, an underground parking garage that I parked my car in for several years, was a known plume of, of TCE um, that was a result of a dry cleaner that used to be on the site. I thought to myself, well, that that that's a potential cause, uh, and so uh, we're, we're looking into whether that that actually could have contributed to the onset of my PD. Uh, so these underground plumes, as we as Brianna indicated, uh, occur when people improperly dispose of TC, often by just pouring it directly in the ground. It goes into the soil, contaminates groundwaters, migrates for large, sometimes for large distances. And then TCE like radon can evaporate from groundwater and soil and enter people's homes schools or places of work uh, undetected. So in, in, in my case, I thought, you know, that the, the hypothesis is potentially that, you know, but this is, this is a migrate that long a distance. We're talking maybe, you know, a couple of dozen feet, maybe maybe a couple dozen yards at most, um, is that yeah, I parked my car in a parking garage underground, you know, adjacent to this TCE plume for, you know, six days a week for years. Um, and that, uh, that while my car was parked, the TCE would sort of marinate my car and in all kinds of toxic fumes. I, I finished working, closed the door behind me into my car and driveway and, uh, and breathe this stuff in as I as I commuted back and forth to work and as I walked from the parking garage to my office. Um, and this went on for seven or eight years and everybody in this potential cluster um, experienced the same, same thing. Uh, what are your next steps in evaluating this cluster? So I think the next steps are gonna to be to, uh, to submit a questionnaire to everybody who was in the cluster and ask them what their, what their history, work history was where they park, where they work. If we don't answer a lot of those questions, we need to have it confirmed. And then what their symptoms potentially of um, maybe, what, whether they're suffering any neurological issues um, at all. And then at, after that, we're going to uh, we're going to collect the data and see if that uh, that, that cluster is, is a total of four or more than four. Um, you know, for, for the sake of my coworkers, I hope it's four. For the sake of, of building knowledge, if it's more than four, uh, I'd like to get to the bottom of it and and not, uh, not identify, you know, having a cause isn't necessarily do anything for me. I mean, this doesn't fix my Parkinson's. It doesn't make it go away. 
uh, but hopefully it can, can be something that spurs the community, the broader community, to action, so that the, that people don't have this. This this is this is this is entirely um, preventable. There's nothing about exposure to TC that we can't prevent, that we can't prevent future generations from from suffering from Parkinson's. And if I can play a role in, in helping that happen and protecting my children and people I know around me from getting this, this disease, that, that would be a win for me. Uh, beyond your experience, uh, you've also encountered friends and colleagues with Parkinson's who may have been exposed to TC in other capacities. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So, you know, it's actually, it's, it's, it's sort of having, having read the book and having had other people read the book, um, it's, it's, it's almost a universal um, experience for me. I've talked to friends about, you know, what TCEs are and how they, how they affect the possible, possibility of the onset of, of, of PD. And I just give you a couple of examples. And, and you know, I was talking to one friend. Literally, we're sitting in, the, in my in my house, chatting about the book and what what the what TCEs were. And sort of a, a light of realization went on when I started started going to say, she said, you know, Dan, I, I used to clean my, my family's kitchen equipment that we're using our commercial restaurant for years by literally dumping, dipping the the, the grill grates into TCEs. And he, he recounted to me how his wife used to yell at him, telling him. You're gonna get sick from that smell, that from breathing that stuff in. And you say, "No, don't worry about it. It's been around forever. Nobody's gotten sick from it." And it, literally, I felt the chill on my spine because we both realized at the same time that this is likely the cause of this PD. Uh, another example would be a friend of mine who uh, who went for a jog every day. He you know, thought he was keeping himself in good shape, thought he was exercising, doing the right thing, going for a run, taking care of his body. Well, it turns out he was running right over a, a known contaminated site of TCs on a daily basis. And uh, he developed PD at uh, age 42, I think. And then just, yeah, it, until people know that this is a problem, they don't think about their history, what they've done, and how they've actually been exposed to it and how they how, how it may have impacted them. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's shocking how many people uh, I talk to have identified, and almost immediately after I talk about this, this issue with them, they identify potential cause of exposure for themselves. I'm going to end the webinar there. It was a webinar on the website endingpd.org, and they were also talking about the book of the same name, Ending Park, well, it's Ending Parkinson's Disease, and uh, so you might be able to find it in the library. And they on the endingpd.org website, they have action items in case you're very upset about this, as I am. <laughs> that we have these uh, chemicals that are still being used when they've been banned in other countries and they're still being used in the United States. And, you know, who knows how much damage they're continuing to do. And even when we do ban them, they're going to still be in the atmosphere for how, I don't know how many decades. So it, to me, it's a really important issue. Uh, just another example of getting like Rachel Carson tried to get us to do in her book, Silent Spring. Let's get rid of these chemicals in the environment because it's literally killing us and a lot of other animal species as well, even though animals really were not discussed as victims um, in this podcast. Um, at the endingpd.org website, they have um, action items um, and they tell you the name of the chemicals, paraquat, chloropyrifos, and TCEs um, that you can mention if you're writing uh, the president of the United States or the um, Environmental Protection Agency. Actually, if you donate to wrfg.org, I will send you a copy of the ending 
Parkinson's book. Or um, I also have several of the books from previous guests, Karen Bradshaw's Wildlife as Property Owners, Mark Hawthorne's The Way of the Rabbit, and Jonathan Balcom's Superfly. So um, if you go to the Facebook page for In Tune to Nature, you can message me there and let me know that you've made a donation to wrfg.org and which book you would like. And I'm happy to send you that as a thank you gift. And now another message from our Public Affairs Bulletin Board. On July 24 and 25, the Arts Exchange, along with their community partners, will host Reimagine Democracy, an art and justice festival. The lineup includes an artist's market, the exhibit Whose America Is It Anyway, the jazz sounds of the Ojuda Pen Experience, reggae and gospel concerts, performances, classes, social justice trainings, and workshops on voter engagement. The Arts Exchange is at 2148 Noonan Street in East Point, within walking distance of the Fort MacPherson Martyr Station. For more information, our website is artsexchange.org. Again, thanks for listening to In Tune to Nature. At our Facebook page for In Tune to Nature, that's where you can message me to let me know that you made a donation to help our fantastic station at wrfg.org and let me know which book you're interested in, whether it's Ending Parkinson's Disease or Karen Bradshaw's Wildlife as Property Owners. Mark Hawthorne's The Way of the Rabbit, or Jonathan Balcom's Superfly. I'm Carrie Freeman, one of the hosts of In Tune to Nature, and a volunteer, and like you, I'm also a donor. And I want to remind you to take care of yourself and other species. Thanks for listening. Cheers! <music>